Growing up, John Martin was an absolute hero to me. A madcap maverick, but a magnificent one. His 19-year stint with the Diamonds included two spells in the Premier League and two Scottish Cup finals. Barely thinkable now. Reading his autobiography, Swing on the Bar, written with John O'Brien of this podcast, I was really moved to learn of a tragic event that affected John's family. In 2011, John's grandson Jordan Houston died after a short battle with cancer following the discovery of an inoperable brain tumour. I dread to think how that would affect any family. But John, typically stoic, has worked with his family and in the last few years they've established a Rock and Roll Sunday fundraising event. It's held at Preston Pan's Royal British Legion and it raises funds for Chaz in memory of Jordan. With the COVID-19 pandemic, it's not yet clear when this year's event will go ahead, if it can at all. John's given so much to Airdrie. Not only did he entertain us for years, he donated both his Scottish Cup final medals to support fundraising efforts in memory of Sammy Conn and to raise the funds necessary for the construction of Sammy's shelter. I think it would be very fitting for Airdrie fans to show the love and affection which we hold for John and to support his family by donating in memory of Jordan. I've set up a Just Giving page in order to support that and I'll post the link on the Facebook page and on Pie and Bovril on Twitter. However, if you don't follow any of those, go to justgiving.com forward slash johnny martin one. That's the number one. Chaz is a registered charity and so anything that you give through Just Giving will go straight to them and they'll get the benefit of gift aid which will increase the amount that you donate. And as an update, I'm delighted to say that donations as at the date of recording stand at £855, and that's before gifted. It'd be great to smash through the £1,000 barrier, and so if you intend to donate but haven't had a chance yet, please do. Okay, we're back for another lockdown special podcast and I've got the first ever appearance of siblings on the podcast, which is no slight on my brother, but at the same time, you've got to question it. Uh, I've got Emma Quigley making a return. Hi Emma, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. And on debut, your little brother, David. David, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. David, you usually ask people how did they end up supporting Airdrie and I know you guys have both grew up down in Dumbarton um, but Emma's given us the story before so your dad's dragged you up the road and, and there's family in Airdrie and everything so uh, I guess for you guys, I mean, what's what's Airdrie played as a, a part of the, the two you growing up together? Where's, where's that in your brother-sister relationship? Well, we used to, my dad used to have to sit in between us at the games. <laughs> when we were he still younger, does. <laughs> Sometimes. But it's been, uh, I think it's, it's been pretty central part really, hasn't it, David, since we were kids? Uh, yeah, it's uh, bonded as Emma, Emma's enthusiasm and optimism rubs off on me. <laughs> and these days you're a, you're a police officer and... Emma, you're a, a dance mama you've got on your Twitter profile, uh, so I take it you both miss quite a lot of games. Do, do you get to go to the football together much now? You do probably more than I do. Anytime I go, it's, we're always going together, um, but it's a lot less now than what it used to be. Um, they just will work and get into the games. Are you missing it? I have missed I'm, it, actually. Yeah, a lot more than I realised. <laughs> I'll never take them for granted again. Cold, wet night on a Tuesday, watching an nil-nil draw. But I mean, we've always, since we were little, my dad's was I mean, as young as we can be. My dad's always going to games. So as soon as we were old enough, David, you went before I did. Actually, you started going much younger than I did. 
and then I joined. Last season at Broomfield. That's when I started going. And back then you used to call me every onions to wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> this is before this is before I was into football and I used to dance, I used to wind them up. And then I can't even remember how my, my head kinda of turned from dancing to football. And I started going the season after and then we just that was it every Saturday home and away of old childhood. You know, and there was obviously rules that went with the game over who sat in the front on the way up and who sat in the back on the way back, you know, and there was obviously the fights over the car and etc. Oh, were there a shotgun? Whoever calls it first? Yeah, no, I went I went on the way up because David was fly enough to know that when you've stood in Dingwall for two hours in the freezing cold that you're going to want the heaters on the way back down. <laughs> so so those, were, those <laughs> So that was how that one panned out. And so, David, uh, if you're growing up with a kind of sibling rivalry, it sounds like there, uh, similar to, to myself. It must have been pretty special for you when uh, somebody was offering to print Shut Up Emma T-shirts on the Airdrie Facebook page. I mean, that, that must that have... Was, that was a, a proud brother moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready with a big order for them. <laughs> uh, right, now, thank you for coming on the show to, to both of you, but it's good to have you on for the, the first time, David. We're not going to do too much on football because there's not too much to talk about, but there is a bit. It looks at the moment as if the football is not going to be back till October, so we're all missing it. We're all going to be missing it for a while longer. Uh, the new jersey, I will throw that open to you, David. What do you make of it? Uh, it looks, it looks brilliant. Uh, it's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, I like the the white socks. I saw the full strip, and the red socks, but the white socks look better. Are the white socks look like they've got a diamond on them. Yeah. They look, they look superb, but um, no, I'm really impressed with it. Um, it would be good to get it without the sponsor. That would be a, obviously all my stuff got a lot into this. I'm not complaining, but I just for the old retro style, it would look really good without a sponsor. Yeah, I get it. the only good thing about it, I think, is when sponsors first came out and you weren't able to print logos on stuff, uh, it was more like black letters DL on the jerseys and, and simple stuff otherwise so it looks quite retro because the whole masters have kept their logo very simple on it uh, but no I think Stuart Miller's done a, a good job there uh, we've also had a few signings so we've got Paul Mackay's come back uh, Josh Kerr signed up as well and uh, oh, help me out was, was the final one that was signed Ali Royce Ali Royce signed as well uh, so Emma what do you make you, you happy with the, the recruitment yeah, I think so. I think um, given all the uncertainty and all the kind of destruction we've had towards the end of the previous season going into this season, it is probably good that we've kept a bit of a core and a bit of kind of continuity there. And I think the message we always seem to get from the kind of players that we heard was that you know they were all kind of really happy. It was a kind of pretty happy dressing room. So I'm kind of glad. And I think um, Josh Kerr in particular was, was really starting to kind of find a bit of form and do really well when he came into the team, which... I was really pleased to see because I think when he initially came into the team, he he had a bit of a bumpy time. So I was really happy to see that. So I think the the key is going to be how we recruit the kind of gaps going forward. Um, you know, obviously we've got the court case coming up. We don't know are are they still down or are they up? Um, you know, and the prospect of Thistle and, and Falkirk is a is a big ask to compete with. Um, you know the interesting to know what the, the the goal would be next season. I think we said this previous season that was to, you know the playoffs was the aim, and by and large, I think regardless of how the season was would have ended, I think we would have at least made the playoffs. So I think how we recruit the kind of remaining squad will probably determine on 
where we think our ambitions are going to be. And David, what's in what's in your shopping list? Any pick up from that? So Emma says we, we, we've got a bit of recruitment still to do. When when you do, it's probably a question if the the football's not till October. But but from who's signed up? What do you think is going to be key to to fill in those gaps? It's hard, it's hard because obviously losing Andy Ryan that was a disappointing. Um, but we do have people up front. I think mainly in the midfield we need to bolster a team. A bit of experience in there. But we're quite well covered uh, for goalkeepers and I think we've got the back line covered as well. So it's just really thinking out the squad. But um, come, I think it's October, they're looking at the start of the season. So there should be a lot of players on the market this year with uh, quite a lot of clubs clearing out due to the COVID. No, I can't disagree with that. I think we've gone on and on in this podcast about just solving the midfield. Uh, and Eggman, and, and, uh, if we could sign a really good number eight then I think it would make a massive improvement to the team don't have a name no, nobody strikes me from the uh, the league that I can think of but like you say a lot of teams are cutting down their squads so you wonder whether there's even players from the Premier League that are, are going to be left looking for a team and we can maybe find a, a gem that way a good low knee as well I'm not sure if all the low knees went back at the end of the season so there could be um, I'm not mentioned I'm not well on cold teams but if that's not happened there could be a, you know a good few low knees that you could bring in as well that may be able to to bolster that too I liked um, was it Innes, Innes Murray that we got from Hibs and starting to enjoy watching him play then obviously lockdown came into came into force but I think David Wright I think we've got a really solid solid at the back and I think it's the fact that we've kept that probably shows that we can you know hopefully maintain the kind of standard we had in, in League One you know defensively we were good and up front I think we, we had you know the ability there to get the goals it just seemed to be that engine in the middle of the park we just couldn't quite get it going and I think sometimes that's where we reverted to the kind of the long ball sometimes so yeah I think um, the midfield the midfield is really it's the key and I think I was reading the 1924 update today and I think it was maybe slightly hinted at that it hadn't worked quite as well as we'd, we'd hoped last season and you know Stuart's updates and updates in the club are always pretty very good and I think you know fairly honest you know and they're always kind of measured in pretty honest assessments as well yeah and we've got a new keeper uh, I didn't mention in the signings there so I don't I missed all the Stranar games this year I don't, Max Curry have either of you seen him? I only seen him down at Stranar and obviously we put two past so <laughs> so he's rubbish get rid of him <laughs> the 0-0 game um, at Broomfield I don't really recall him too well but I, I seem to remember, remember he had quite a good stop in that game I remember uh, when Stranar played Rangers there was a lot of talk about him after that uh, but obviously not watching Stranar I don't know how consistent he was over the season so hopefully he'll be an improvement in Hutton because uh, Hutton is good for us especially as a short stopper yeah, and he's still there so a bit of competition between the two of them will be good there, there is actually a Stranar podcast which uh, we kind of gave birth to one of their guys come on the, a pre-match and then the next week they uh, set up their own so they, they rave about him so fingers crossed that's uh, that's a good sign uh, so, I sometimes um, judge a signing by how raging the opposition are when they lose them so um, I always think that's a good sign <laughs> You're our Twitter expert so what was the, the Stranar twi- Twitter atty what were they saying about to it? To be honest I had not seen much just a kind of general mood of slight disappointment I think is probably fair to say but um, I haven't I haven't followed too much it's over a, over lockdown. Enough to give us. Hope. I gave myself a little bit of a break. Good, right? Let's go on to. Uh, so this is a, a, a watch along film review, really. Uh, I I 
seen this film on Netflix when I first got it a few years ago. It's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Uh, and I think it just jumped out at me as, as a sports movie. I'll, I'll watch that and I really enjoyed it. And I've mentioned it on this podcast a, a couple of times before. So I've forced you both to watch it. Uh, I, I think it's a kind of mix of uh, The Last Dance... A field of Dreams and Mighty Ducks. It's kind of an uplifting sports movie theme, but but let's if you've got Netflix, watch it. It's really good. But I wanted to pick over the bones of it with you guys. And any sports thing I watch, I end up thinking about. Oh, that's just like Airdrie, whether it's Moneyball or uh, or anything else. And it wasn't any different with this. So the protagonist of the the movie is Bing Russell, who was a, an actor before our time but played the deputy sheriff in Bonanza which I remember my dad talking about for for 12 years but his story is quite interesting as a young boy he'd become he described it as a peanut smuggler any idea what what his role actually was with the New York Yankees absolutely no idea (laughs) nope no idea (laughs) but my only my only experience with baseball was you give me a shout and saying can you watch this for the podcast so that is this documentary as much as I know about but I did watch Moneyball afterwards actually because I kind of thought oh that was quite interesting and then I put Moneyball on so but that's my knowledge and don't let that put anybody off in the movie because a bit like The Last Dance you don't need to know anything about basketball this one uh, you, you'll no, follow the themes on it uh, but let's see as a, a I mean he must have been what about 10, 11, 12 uh, he gets into with the New York Yankees and he's on the team bus and he's he's helping with their, their kit and everything gets to go to training uh, and all these it was a time when the, the Yankees were one of the top baseball teams so he falls in love with, with baseball and he, he he then becomes a professional himself but when he's playing in the lower leagues he takes a ball to the head and that ends his baseball career so he becomes an actor uh, and then Portland so Portland's north northwest of America and it's it's America's obviously very disparate but it's one of the liberal parts and you get legalised cannabis and it's very European in its outlook uh, they lose their, their baseball franchise the Portland Beavers and there's different leagues but he Bing Russell runs into town and uh, there's all these news stories about he's setting up a, a baseball team but it's as if they're, they're starting again in league 2 uh, it's a few it's a few um, levels down it's called single A baseball and if yeah, get... it's a, it's a, essentially they decide that the trip, it's not glamorous enough for the kind of triple A teams and they they abandon them, really, don't they? Yeah, and that's a, a good point about American sports. They don't have promotion and relegation. The, the league owns all the teams. So if you buy a New York Yankees hat in a shop in Glasgow, the money gets collected by Major League Baseball and gets split in amongst all the teams almost equally, which is why different teams win the World Series all the time. And there's, there's the draft pick where the... It's a bit like if you're in a playground, the team that lost gets to pick first the next day. Uh, so they try and keep it even, which is there's probably an interesting discussion there. But equally, if your team's not hitting the numbers, then they'll just bin you. Uh, and I've been to a, ga- a baseball game in San Francisco, uh, and there was all these flags up for leagues that they'd won, and some of them had the letters NY on it. And it's because the San Francisco Giants used to be the New York Giants, and they don't seem to have a problem with celebrating that they won the league even though it was way over another side of the country so it's just uh, if you think about Scottish football uh, it's quite interesting with how people view us and view Rangers or whatever they're quite happy with the idea of franchise teams and just you move it from one place to another but it's the same thing yeah it's definitely um, I don't think it would fly here <laughs> <laughs> I think if anything the last three ones have shown, shown that we wouldn't get away with it here we're not so open minded 
more tribal rivalry here than. <laughs> but in a way, that's what you've got to love about Scottish football as well. You know, it doesn't matter if your team's top of the Premiership or, you know, everyone is just as passionate about their team as everybody else, and I don't think that Kiwi should be taken for granted. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it. So he comes along and he starts this lower league team, uh, and he pays five hundred dollars to get a. a a franchise in this this lower league and he calls them the Portland Mavericks uh, he's got to generate interest so it's about, you hear stories about Alex Ferguson driving about Paisley in a, a car with a loudspeaker like you used to get before elections before this was all done on, on social media uh, and he's out doing all that he can to, to generate interest signs up a, a local restaurant owner who's played a bit of baseball to come in and be the manager uh, and then Probably one of the most interesting parts. They they put out an open advert in the press for for players. Uh, it's tiny wages, but it just seems to be this dream of Americans that they want to be professional baseball players. And he gets people coming from from all over the country, and we get some footage of the the open trials. What did you what do you think of that, David? Did the did, did, did the the idea of having open trials? Do you think that could work in football? Yeah, I recall Clyde doing it a few years ago. I can't remember how it went for them, but um, I thought it was interesting because you guys, you say from all over the country, but it wasn't just young guys. It was folk that were wanting to live out their dream and going for the, you know, the final attempt at, at making it. As you say, the wages weren't big. It was just people there for the love of the game wanting to play. And in Scottish football, I've always thought that could work. Um, as I, said, I can't recall how it went for Clyde, but especially this year, um, there might be a lot more interest in players looking for clubs. I can fill you in on, on Clyde, because uh, I've heard Graeme Roberts, he did a thing on Talk Sport, it was really good, and spoke through that season, but they had the open trials, did the guy turn up who only had one arm, and he said it was unbelievable that like he could ping a ball, land on a sixpence, uh, really stood out at the trials, but he, he was already getting abuse for how amateur it seemed to be having open trials uh, and he thought if we sign him then the press are just going to have a field day so how did they do that season they got a draw at Ibrox and then that was the same season where uh, they beat Celtic on Roy Keane's debut at Broadwood so uh, they must have found they must have found enough talent to get that team together because they had a, a really strong season I think if you went through that team there's probably names you'd recognise yeah, definitely I, I recall the Celtic game was it Roy Keane played was it that season yep and was it Dewey? The He'd a bit of a nightmare, I think. <laughs> um, I recall that. But um, I think, yeah, I definitely, if you went back and looked at that team, there's probably names that you'd be able to pull out from that lineup that you'd instantly recognise. Uh, and the Willie McLaren story was that he turned up with a mate who had a trial for air tree and he just said, can my mate play? And his mate was Willie McLaren. So uh, I, I don't know. You think there must be there must be guys who just fall out of the game because they don't get a chance and uh, whether or not every holding open trials is, is the way ahead it was just quite interesting because it, it worked for these guys I think that's what struck me I think as David said though you know they travelled from all over America in some case I think they said there was over 500 or around 500 and they all just hit and I think that was what made it so great when that's what kind of bound them together it was just they all just loved they weren't there for money they weren't there for any other reason other than they really wanted to play and I think that was that was probably just the catalyst for that entire you know the rest of the documentary they just seemed to get that magic mix of guys that just wanted to play and probably had a few things to prove to people as well and that can be a great motivator too 
I think there was a chap that had been kind of blackballed, hadn't he, by the, the AAA for for speaking out against a couple of things, and he kind of led the charge and ended up going back to the top of the game. I can't remember his name from the documentary. Uh, he was in the picture. His hat always came off. Yeah, it was Jim, Jim, yeah. Jim Bouton. But he'd written an expose about a, a season right. with the when he was playing for the Yankees, and they didn't they didn't really tell you what it was in the book, other than it involved like the guys all kissing on the team bus and taking greenies, which I assume is some sort of drug, whether that's to stay awake or whatever on these long road trips that you have. But but as you say, I he'd completely fallen out of baseball because no one would sign him. I seemed a bit like Colin Kaepernick. It was just no no team would touch him. Uh, and then, then he rocked up at the Mavericks a bit later on. One of the other key themes it was an, an independent team. So I, in America, in these lower leagues, you tend to have all the teams are owned by the the, the main franchises. So there's a league in Florida, and I think they all do their spring training down there. But you have teams like. Well, I've been to a match when we were on holiday there. The Fort Myers Twins, which was like just a. a, a a cult team basically so this was the only team in America at the time when he started it up which wasn't owned by a major league team uh, and I know cult teams have has come up time and time again in Scottish football and um, I know it's a big bugbear of yours so I'll give you a, a soapbox what what do you make of, of cult teams in the, sorry cult teams in Scottish football we've got enough cult teams well, I mean I think anybody that has um, even spoken to me for five minutes knows that um, I'm pretty much against um Cold teams. Um, I think particularly, I think what really irks me about them is, is just the way they attempt to introduce them at the moment. Um, I think there's a lot of um, kind of tenuous links between made between you know Rangers and Celtic paying to join League Two, and then all of a sudden they were going to start qualifying for European finals. You know, I, I just um, and I think it just shows. Um, you know, in terms of the independent teams, I just think it's better. We just we don't need them. We don't need them. Let's. Um, I think that's that's what they showed. You know, they were weren't tethered to anybody. They were just able to go out and and do things their own way. And I think it was interesting as well. One of the things that struck me was Wales doing things their own way. Was the people that he surrounded himself with? They weren't. You know. I think a lot of people always say about Scottish football, it's you know it's the Blazers and it's the same people making the same decisions and protecting themselves. And they never did that, you know. The general manager was a woman. I don't imagine there'd be many women general managers in baseball. And I think it was the seventies. Um, you know, obviously restaurant owners. You know, they just they thought outside the box and they were open to different ideas. And I think that is probably a better way forward for for Scottish football. Than I, I, just parachuting cult teams into League Two. I'm with you. I, I really don't get, I don't get the arguments for it. I mean, it's not worked particularly well in the Challenge Cup. The Challenge Cup gets a lot of abuse, and actually, I think that the introduction of the teams from other parts of Britain and Ireland has been quite refreshing. And Adrian have enjoyed having home games against Bohemians and against Sutton United last year. Uh, Nobody was really that excited, even though it was Motherwell that we played in, in a Colts game. Uh, the Colts teams don't tend to do that well. Rangers did get to the the semi, I think, this year. But I think fundamentally, as I don't accept the argument that by introducing these teams, you're going to improve the youth game at that level. I just, I, I do not, I just don't accept that link. I think that is quite a big jump to make, and 
when you looked at the proposal, and I'm just talking about the most recent one, which was Rangers and Celtic into League Two, or oh, if anybody else wants to do it, you need to join the pyramid. You know, to me, that just turns into trying to develop their players. And fundamentally, I just don't believe that it's the job of League Two or League One to develop their youth players, which to me was essentially what that proposal was as it stood. And I know there was a kind of tag on around, you know, partnerships, etc. But I think Jim McAnally spoke about that pretty well when he said it's, you know, probably a a grave, great insult to some of the coaches and the, the, the level of coaching that we get, we have down in the lower leagues to think that we need, you know, Premier League coaches to come down and show us how to do things. And I just think it was... I just think it was the wrong time with everything else going on and probably the wrong structure for it. Yeah. And how many players do you see move from League Two instantly to the Premier League? It, it doesn't happen. So it's uh, maybe the idea that they would get up through the leagues. I'm not convinced that they would. I also don't think their fans would be interested in it at all. I mean, you've seen you've seen what their grounds are like if they have a meaningless UEFA tie. So are they really going to pull any crowd for playing who's going to be Edinburgh City at home Uh, I just can't I I can't see anything behind it and I don't think it would really help the national team either I mean I know that there's so many youth coaches have spoken out in in favour of the idea and I'm not proposing to say that I would know any better than the the guys that work in the game but I just I struggle to make I just don't see how it makes that I think we've got a, a great loan system you know and why don't we look at expanding that if we want to we want to bring young players on a bit but um, and I think there is always an element about just the, the sport, this kind of sport and integrity of the league and I think I'd heard it suggested that nobody would suffer and I thought well the team that finishes third in League 2 that season you know say it was behind the two old firms like they would suffer because that would be a championship winning season we may. We're, we're, we're struggling enough to get into the championship as it is so if all of a sudden we've got Rangers and Celtic able to throw a bit of money at their uh, their coke teams and I don't know what the rules would be about overage players uh, I, I wouldn't welcome it if we if we missed out on promotion to to a reserve team No, and I think I'd, I'd read that, that before in, in a previous incarnation of this, that I think it was they would be allowed three and depending on when you introduce that three, you could, you could influence the results of a season or somebody's season depending on who and when that three are. So I think David, you're not you're not a fan either, are you? One thing yeah. we agree on. I was going to say, David, you're you're very quiet. You got a chance to argue with your sister here. She set up nicely for you. No, no, I agree with her. Shock horror. You um, got that on tape, haven't you, Colin? <laughs> it's uh, it's just clearly to serve two clubs. It's not for the good of Scottish football club teams. It's just about furthering two clubs, um, which. You know, in my opinion, Scottish football isn't there to serve the old forum. You know, it's there to serve everyone. Um, self-preservation comes to mind, but um, I, don't, I don't see what benefit the rest of Scottish football would get from Colt teams. And certainly I don't think it would fil- filter through to the, the national team in any way. Yeah, kids playing in League Two. Yeah. Um, the tendencies in the Challenge Cup where you saw the Colt teams introduced have... If not, if not any bounce. In fact, I think they've went down. Um, there's just no interest from the fans in it either, which it's not like Scottish football to take the fans' opinions on the best of times, but 
Yeah, and in fairness to, to old firm fans, I haven't even heard them shouting for it as a great idea. So it seems to be something that nobody really wants, except the old, the, the, the execs of the old firm. Yeah. It's to try and solve the problem of stop. I mean, they've stockpiled a lot of young players, and they can't they can't play them. Um, you know, and, I, and that's what it boils down. It's not our that's not our problem. It's not our problem really to solve. Um, why don't you play them? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> if you want to get a game, you know. A idea to uh, my pals. Why don't they they play the Coke teams in the Irish league? There's been plenty of songs about it, so don't play them over in Ireland. I don't think that they would necessarily <laughs> welcome. They've got enough problems of their own. Well, let's <laughs> take that back over there. <laughs> I think yeah. I just said I'm, I'm very sceptical and I just don't buy the link between these teams being the lower leagues and the national team. To me, it benefits the parent clubs and that's not my concern, really. Okay. Back, back to the movie. The Port- So the Portland Mavericks are the opposite of this. They are an independent team joining a league full of Coke teams uh, they have their trials over 300 people show up including they sign up a left handed catcher which okay beyond my baseball knowledge but I know who the catcher is and apparently you just don't get left handed catchers uh, but one turned up at the trials and they thought oh why not we'll take him on uh, they, they won their first game which was a, a no hitter uh, which essentially means the other team didn't even manage to get somebody to, to first base. So, like, absolute dream start. Uh, and in the first season, uh, they, they have a great time. They talk about the star man, Reggie Thomas, who later in the movie, it, it turns out, it disappeared. And there's all these rumours that he went into like the witness protection scheme, but nobody has seen Reggie Thomas since like, the early days of the Portland Mavericks in 1971. Um, and... They beat the cold teams, not they beat them up basically. These cold teams are like the, your under 21s or whatever, and this bunch of hardened misfits just uh, are just too much for them. Uh, they, they hustle them, they steal bases, they they just play a really aggressive style, and the young boys' teams can't can't cope with it. So, uh, did, did, did that appeal to you, David? What does that feel like any every team at all? I was I was just trying to draw comparisons to Airdrie, but um, the Airdrie team that I drew comparisons with was uh, Ian McCall's team that was made up of so, you know, some journeymen, men at the end of their careers, or people who've been told by clubs that were not good enough to cut it at a higher level. And uh, they came to us and almost a wee fairy tale ending got promotion, but Thistle pipped us to it that year. Uh, and uh, and Ian McCall did it. A brilliant job when you think oh, who who's there? Kevin James, Neil McFarlane, Craig McPherson, Matt Roberts. Matt Roberts scored a wonder goal against Hibs about six years after that, but nobody seemed to want him at that point in time. Gets own coil back, gets Sandy Stewart back. He he pieced together a team beautifully. Uh, and like you say, the, the money ran out. I mean, he was playing himself as a sub uh, in the last game against Thistle at home because we were so short on numbers. Uh, but the, the, yeah, he really pieced a team together well and I've said on here before as well funny that when he picks up an ear team that's in total dis- disarray uh, what does he do that summer oh well we'll take Ross Docherty and we'll take Paddy Boyle from Airtree he just obviously got a, a good eye for a, a player uh, and, and then we went from beating air four times the season when we had those two to the next season we lost three out of the four games so 
uh, you can turn things around quickly if you get your recruitment spot on uh, and these guys obviously did and, and that Airdrie team did too um, they, the Portland Mavericks become a, a sensation in the press and they get it looked as if they were on the, almost the equivalent of football focus for baseball they're getting nationwide coverage despite playing in this little league uh, and as you said Emma this guy Jim Booten comes uh, comes back into baseball because of it he's sitting at home having not been able to get a club since he played major league uh, and decides I'll maybe see if they'd be interested and and with Bing Russell not being part of the the baseball establishment they sign him up uh, and then my, my next favourite bit was the uh, when you play baseball I get they, they play matches home and away but they'll play the same team maybe three four times in a, in a series and if you win every game in the series that's called a sweep uh, and they were doing that quite regularly and they were celebrating Bahi setting fire to a broom which uh, their own bat boy uh, was making in his mum and dad's garage by making really cheap brushes and soaking them in lighter fluid and then one of the players every time they, they swept a team in a series would set it on fire and the fans were all bringing their own brushes along and waving those in the crowd uh, Reminds, It reminded me of um, us in the sombreros when the Spanish Armada came you know when just an idea just catches and just takes off with the fans and I guess a bit early for, but my key point in all this was, it just it just looked a bit mad. He obviously captured the imagination of of this city. They were a winning team, which makes it much easier. But there's just they did it their way, and they did it their way. They made it fun with a sense of humour and a bit of levity, uh, which I think is missing from Scottish football. I mean, I can't think of any. When the Harry Redknapp story came up a few weeks ago, and who knows if it's dead in the water or or, or not. You can see that that would appeal not even just to Airdrie fans. I think everybody would love if you had a big name like that coming in and associating yourself in any way with a with a lower league team because it would just be a great story in the same way as it was when when Gretna were working their way through the leagues and they had this enigmatic the, the, the fairy tale. Ah, well, the fairy tale was <laughs> paid for or not paid for, uh, but even Brooks Melson he had the, 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 he was getting all the press coverage at the time. And he had he had an animal sanctuary in his house. He had all these rescued llamas and stuff. Uh, it's it's nice when Scottish football's got a bit more daftness about it because I think it's something that we do well. They were all just great stories, though. I think that's what they probably all all these different teams. You know, they all just have a good story behind them and were able to capture the imagination. Because I think what I found we'll probably move on to in a second was the way that that Portland team, how it came to an end, which I thought was really interesting and what happened afterwards in terms of the way it was received, you know, with the crowds, etc. No, and just other daft things that they did. So it was this setting brushes on fire. There was a game they talked about where four of them had been sent to the stand, including including the boy whose job was just to get the bat. He'd given the referee some cheek and he gets sent up uh, and Bing Russell, the chairman, was was, was loving it. Uh, and most places, rather than having ball boys, they had a dog that was trained to go and get the ball. Just... He was the first bat dog, wasn't he? Oh, I think that's what Scottish football needs, more more dogs. <laughs> well, sure, Matthew, if you're listening, you can train those dogs to to get the ball back from behind the goals for by kicks and stuff. We might not be allowed to ball boys in the post COVID nineteen. You know what? This this might be the this might be the way forward. So, so. <laughs> if anyone's got a dog that can retrieve a football without taking off in the opposite direction, yeah, uh, and sanitize it and give it to a goalkeeper to take a by kick, we're, we're laughing. <laughs> there was also there was crowds where 
in this league of cult teams again nobody's really interested uh, whereas this the this team independent team breaks all attendance records for for that level of baseball uh, just because they've got people engaged uh, but then we get to kind of sadder about the story they always wanted to win the playoffs and again American sport uh, you have a league all well you have different leagues all year but finishing top of that league is only good enough to get you into the playoffs with some of the other teams uh, and and the downfall was when they got to the cup competition at the end to decide the, the overall champion suddenly all these coach teams had uh, what described in the movie better players coming along so your your pitchers were maybe five miles an hour faster or could put swerve on it that you couldn't see before and the batters were maybe catching a bit more of of the stuff that they were pitching at them and every year when they got to the final they ended up losing out uh, because these organisations sent the more like star players to win it and I think that's we've touched on that with the cold teams that that would be the danger that if, if Rangers or Celtic have got an away game at, at I'm trying to think who's a, a lowly team at, at Clifton Hill and all of a sudden oh, I, <laughs> these two guys are coming back from injury and that's allowed in these rules uh, you can see the same thing happening well that's that was one thing I think I, I messaged you when I was watching it and said I said you know I found that the bit that struck me was was how amazing they did and how they just to say through just the love of the game the love of what they did they brought an entire city with them and you know the, the kind of camaraderie and the spirit but actually when push came to shove these these bigger teams just pushed quality players down and, and each time it was just kind of snuffed out and, and I think that is when when we argue about the integrity of competition that's that's it in a, in a nutshell you know how you can quite easily just buy if you're allowed to play two or three of your first team play or your over 21s you know how you can influence the result and if that came down to a playoff etc you know if you was in a playoff at the end of the league but I suppose there's ways you can you could manage around it um but that was what I took from that part was just how easily you can manipulate and, and playoff heartache losing playoff finals of things it's not that hard to get back to to Airdrie David what's your what's your worst playoff memory Hibs, Hibs, Hibs. Put it in. I cried at that game. Someone <laughs> ever cried at. Remember the, the away leg was horrible. That was oh. from the Hibs fans above us. And that was unpleasant. And the home leg was just heartbreaking. Yeah, I can living through in Edinburgh. I can. I've got no time for for Hibs, and you meet all these Hibs fans, and you know that it's like every club's got their ideas, but it wasn't a particularly pleasant experience getting what Bovril spit whatever coming down at Just, and I think that was the thing because it was the family because we think we were in the family what was supposed to be the family section but I just don't know who thought it was a good idea but that was a really unpleasant afternoon and then I mean the the, the footballing part of it Stevie Cooper's got the, the penalty kick to put us 2-1 up in the, the tie and we missed that and then it just felt like the world caved in on us because we ended up uh, you got man, Kenny Black got man of the match after getting sent off for kicking a Hibs player, which, which was one of the happier memories from the night. Uh, but it just it just got away from us, and, and there was two stands full of Hibs fans, so there was more noise than you'd ever heard at Broadwood uh, when it when it did start going away from us. Yes, well, that's just brought the mid down, hasn't it? <laughs> 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 we're, we're only starting because I guess that was the the first playoff experience. Do you like the playoffs in uh, in the lower leagues in Scotland? Because it seems to be when there was all this talk of reconstruction, people were really keen to to keep them. I don't like them in the current format. I'll be honest. I I just um, 
I preferred it when it was, you know, one up, one down, and then second bottom played second top, and Pullman away, and that was it. But on the flip side of that, God, it makes the season great right up to the end. Gives you something to play for. Yeah, um, it, keeps, so. it keeps the competition alive, having so many places. But you're right, I thought the best playoffs were the two legs, home and away, second top against second bottom. Um, much better, much bigger games, you know. Felt like a bigger occasion. I think it's certainly the uh, the fairest way because it always strikes me League One's a team of, a league of 10 teams you've got the automatic promotion automatic relegation one team going into the relegation playoffs three team, teams going into the promotion playoffs so you, you've got six teams uh, are involved in something out of 10 which is, which is a lot I mean in England it makes more sense where you've got a league of 24 uh, and you've only got the season would be over for the mid-table teams if they didn't have the, the, the playoffs to shoot for um, but but almost everybody's involved in something and yet Airdrie we still seem to manage to be in that middle sandwich of four teams where nothing <laughs> happened <laughs> but then I mean I suppose on the flip side of that as well you know you look at what happened to Brechin and you look at where they are now and it, it shows you how a team to me that probably to me a team that finishes fourth in league one has probably no business in the championship and and probably for that that reason, I mean, yeah, there probably are occasions that maybe it does work out, but I just think it's your first and your second, and probably the moment we would have lost out, you know, this year if that had that had been the way. But you know, just a bit of a traditionalist that way. Um, but I, suppose it, I struggle with it because I, I think that's that's the game I prefer for all the reasons David said. I think they're much better games, bigger occasions, but it really does keep you going up to the end of the season. It's got the cup final feel about it, whereas when you're playing, if you're the fourth team, you're playing the first game against is it the third place and second place. But they're also uh, stacked against those teams as well, aren't they? Because of the way that they, they build the fixtures. Yeah, it's, I, I remember it just didn't feel like a big, big game in the first leg of the playoff, and it's not until you actually get to the final that it feels like you know it's a proper. Yeah, I don't. You get, you get, you get that. I don't really like the the playoffs, but I, I, when I was working in London for a while. I was lucky enough to get to uh, the Burnley Sheffield United playoff final because uh, well, Owen Coyle and Sandy Stewart were the management team at the time, so uh, I was really keen to go. We, we could only get tickets for the Sheffield United then, but near my dad, and my brother, who usually go to the Airdrie games with. We're in about five rows from the front at Wembley. Wembley's packed. The players, the sun's shining. The players come on. There's fireworks and everything. Uh, the, the same season, Airdrie were in the, the playoff final uh, and we're playing the, the team closest to you guys, Dumbarton. And the two guys in the office, uh, I said to them, oh, Airdrie's in the playoff final tonight. Get on BBC Alba. I've got to give them the Sky Channel because they, they don't know it. Uh, and you'll be able to watch my team. And the guy texts me during it. He's like, there's now one f***ing there the cameras are at Dumbarton you're looking out on no stands we don't, I don't know that we've quite got it nailed in terms of if you could have a neutral venue for some of the bigger matches and make it more of a spectacle whereas it's either an empty new Broomfield or uh, the other teams that were played it's, it's never it's never really been rocking for any of the playoff games that I can think of as well you've already played the team four times that season so there's a bit, yeah, a bit of fatigue. Yeah. It's hard to get yourself up for playing Barton or East Fife for a sixth time that season. 
I'd probably same goes for them as well. Anyway, we, 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 but then we're, we're longing for a season where we're, <laughs> we're actually in the playoffs again because we've missed out on it so so many times. As long as they're the right playoffs at the right end of the table. Oh, surely, surely, <laughs> surely these days. Uh, right, so, so they miss out on, on these finals. Uh, and then we come on to the other theme of league reconstruction. So, like we mentioned at the start of this, the, the league can come along and say, right, your, your city's not doing very well anymore, so you, 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 you've lost your team and we'll take it to somewhere else in the country. The opposite happened here. The baseball looking on at how well this team was doing uh, and the, the tendencies that they were getting and probably with Binger so being a bit of a, an upstart, they weren't happy. So they come along another way and say, oh, by the way, you're getting put back into that better league that you used to be into. Uh, there's new businessmen coming in and you're going to be in that league again as the Portland Beavers. Uh, and that... and. Like explained in the the, the film, you, you get a monopoly of baseball within a twenty five mile radius or whatever. So any teams that's in a a lower league just get binned. So he was told after four successful seasons, your team's no more, uh, and we'll give you twenty six thousand dollars because that was just about the going rate. Uh, so league reconstruction, anyone <laughs> uh, dead in the water here? But what did you think of of that? kind of strong treatment and the, the league being able to just make its decision in that way. Are we missing stronger decisions in, in Scottish football where it had to go to a vote of the members? Um, yes. The latest start with Scottish football and league reconstruction. Um, I think in the way the, the vote is in Scotland, it's never going to go through in the SPL because the, the, they're looking out for themselves, basically their their, their old forum money, their TV money from the full games, um, with the old forum, uh, and so it's like a cartel running it as it was in the baseball, where or you're doing well, so you're out of there, we'll take over. Um, the SPL are never going to say, okay, for the gate of the game, we'll let more teams into the SPL, larger leagues, more exciting. On paper, hopefully more exciting. Um, so it's yeah, I, I drew similarities between between uh, the base, baseball and the SPL and the fact that it's run by you know people just looking out for themselves and it's never you're never going to get a little little guy coming in and changing it. Do you think we could benefit from an executive structure though? So if if Neil Doncaster's job wasn't just to or not him, you bring in. You bring in Barry Hearn, who's turned around darts, because he came up and did a, a talk, and everybody was amazed at how positive he was about Scottish football, and uh, and he gave them a row basically for you're looking at your own feet too much. You should be proud of your product. Uh, there's potential for you. Here's what you've got to do. So if you could have said to him, "Look, Barry, that was, that was really good. Uh, see, rather than putting a vote to all these muppets who are just not going to vote, not going to be turkeys voting for Christmas, uh, we're just going to let you make all the decisions." structure that in the best way that you can to bring money in and make it successful could could it work <laughs> all politics the old firm and everything else aside are, are we are we missing a bit of strong leadership by having to have people looking out objectively it would work but the clubs would never allow that i think that's uh, the key David, though, is, is objectively and i think that's the kind of independent thinking that we, we don't have in the game i think it's just it's like the Sally Fraser Boys Club, but it is essentially, you know, that kind of Blazers club, and I just I don't think there's the independent mind to do it. And 
you know, it was, it was interesting because obviously the kind of spirit of the, the Portland Mavericks and what captured the city and what brought the crowds out. I actually think Scottish football as a product had a lot of that going for it. You know, there's there's so much, you know, great accounts on Twitter. You know, the humour of the game. You know, the kind of the fun that the fans like to have. The kind of the, the banter. Generally, most of it's obviously some exceptions is quite good humour. And I do think there's, you know, there is so much going for it in that sense. But I think you do need somebody detached from it to come in and do something independently, or just look at the structure of the game and give an honest, independent view on how we go forward yeah, I, I mean it was, it was only six weeks ago that Dundee voted yes no no yes you know and everything that's gone on water under the bridge since then um, reconstruction committees that apparently were never going to get off the ground but we all wasted our time sitting on them I just don't know I don't know where we go from here I think the problem is you, you, you're never going to come up with something that works for everyone so I can understand self-interest and I can understand why when it looked like Clyde would effectively be Put, well, they would have been put into the bottom tier and they would have been probably the highest place club ending up down a league you can see why their fans and why their, their board would have been dead against it and when you've got these votes where you need to get 75% back in from everyone you're not going to come up with a structure that, that, that suits everyone Erdrick had a good go at it by suggesting a what was it, a, a, a middle league of like 14, 20, 10 or something like that and and, if, and no one was going to be put into a lower tier than they, they should have been and the two pyramid teams were going to come up uh, but it was all, it was impossible to suit everyone and that would have meant the likes of Queen of the South could potentially lose £100,000 worth of prize money if they had a bad season and they finish 18th rather than the worst they can possibly do is come bottom of the championship that's why I think we need somebody independent to come in and just look at everything from the marketing of the game to the structure from top to bottom. Almost just a complete blank sheet and to say if you were to rebuild the league now based on, I mean, I think there was a survey came out yesterday that showed it's one of the best attended per head of population or something in the world, the Scottish leagues. You know, if you could rebuild it from the ground up tomorrow based on this, what what would you do? And I'd love to hear it. Sorry, another stumbling block for us is the, the TV deal that's coming in with Sky you know, they, they, they've put the money in based on four old forum games a season which they want so for league reconstruction we're having to look at fitting in four fixtures against each other a year which just didn't work with the larger leagues so it's maybe something for down the line when the, a new TV deal comes in or getting Sky to agree the two old games a year, which I think we would do, and and that's maybe where it'd be interesting to hear what Barry Hearns or his equivalents take on that would be, because I don't know what what you do. The, the 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 tough part for us as fans of a smaller team is they might say, actually, you do need those four old firm games, and this split doesn't work, so we're going to have a ten team top league, which makes it even more far fetched that we would we would ever make it there. Uh, but again, if it, if it's the independent person that comes in and and does that then uh, it's probably easier to take than all the politics of, of clubs having to, to vote for it or against it and their their fans being, being dead against it I, I don't know what you'd do could you have an old firm super cup played in the uh, in America every year to try and get a bit of interest there don't know but, but it'd be good to see what the fresh thinking on it was as well another option that's not really been spoken about is increase the relegation two straight up two straight down and a playoff, then more excitement, more more teams playing for something at the bottom end rather than 
you know, the, the two spots going down, uh, the next relegation place would be uh, the increase the turnover of teams as well instead of you know, your mother wells command like the Aberdeen, you know, never, never going up, never, never doing anything, just sitting there. Especially given how close the leagues are, particularly in League One and League Two, you know. Yeah, more teams going up and down, much more exciting for the for the fans. Here. There's a, a bigger turnaround of teams each year. Yeah, no, you, you, you would play different teams. It would uh, if it and if it's a, if it's a sixteen team top league, then why not have two up, two down automatically in a playoff place? Because it's just the same as at the moment. But you'd have more teams getting exposure to that level of football and playing, yeah. playing different teams. Uh, yeah, but it does feel like the, the the thing missing is no one's really asked the fans and all of this. Uh, it wouldn't be that difficult to do a, a, a nationwide survey of what do they, what do we actually want, but. We digress. The, the 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 good bit of this story was well again there's a lot of parallels with Scottish football. Bing Russell takes the league to court uh, just the, the the day before that's about to happen in <laughs> Scottish football. They, they offered him his twenty six grand. He said, "Well, you need to put a zero in the middle of that. I want two hundred and six And they all just laughed at him. Uh, and he turns up at court with all these economic experts and a, a very passionate lawyer. We get to hear about the, the closing argument uh, and the numbers that he showed that he added to the crowd and the income that that generated. He got his £206,000 for the, the, the franchise that only paid $500 for. So it's a happy ending in a sense in terms of he had that victory over the establishment. Um, but the Portland Beavers come back and if you read Wikipedia they disappeared again in a couple of years because no one was really interested in it being another part of a bigger franchise so, so there was probably a lesson uh, a lesson there that he was right in what he was trying to do and everyone loves an underdog as well yeah uh, and then there was the, the what are the interesting parts of it they then going to tell you about what did these guys who played for the team do right okay one of them disappeared into witness custody I, I dare say a lot of them didn't really do much but you had the guy who invented the the USA's leading brand of Bubblegum uh, started out in the, po- the Portland Mavericks and made his first batch in like, one of the players' kitchens. The the little guy who was the the bat boy for the Mavericks in the same way that Bing Russell had been the the the, the helper for the the Yankees. He went on to win an Oscar as a, a film director, and he's integral to the movie and, and inputs and that all the way through. Uh, and has got a very moving bit about going to see. Somebody Bing. won at a Pulitzer as well, didn't they? Oh, maybe I've maybe upgraded that to an Oscar without. No, no, there was an Oscar winner. No, you're right, and I think somebody won a Pulitzer or was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize as well. Became an author. Yeah, so it was all these amazing stories about these guys who just had the passion to. It felt as if these the guys that are just the risk takers. They've got the guts to drive all the way across America, play baseball on low money. They, they seem to have the same drive to do other things in life, and it was amazing the the the, uh, the, the stories that came out of that team in terms of what they they'd gone on to do. The picture we were talking about earlier that wrote the expose on the Yankees. He ended up going and signing for a major league team again. Have they come back? Got yeah. their crack at the big thing. Uh, he was about thirty-seven at the time, and he still managed to he still managed to make it back to the big leagues using the, the Portland Mavericks. So uh, there was a lot of feel good about it. It's, uh, it's an uplifting movie, uh, I, I guess, to round it off. So, so having watched all of that, and I, I, I mean, oh, give it your scores out of ten. I, I loved it. So I, I, one of the best things I've watched on Netflix. If you liked The Last Dance, then you should you should watch it. Uh, it's a good movie. I'm I'm giving it ten. Uh, <laughs> David, over to you. I'll give it a. Seven and a half or eight. 
out of 10. Um, just the couple marks because baseball isn't my game. I think if you're more into baseball, you'll still enjoy it. It's still a great watch. Um, but just not having the full knowledge of baseball to start with in America, um, I thought it was a great watch. Um, so a solid 8, I'll give it out of 10. Emma? I, well, I knew nothing about baseball before I watched it, but I would be a Portland Mavericks fan any day of the week now, and I would give it probably a good a 9 out of 10. I think there's so many let's say, parallels that you can draw to Scottish football and, and some of the issues that are that are going on. And if you actually just enjoy a, a really good story and a, and a good laugh um, with it, you, you should watch it. And can we just say that we've not an honourable mention for Kurt Russell as well, who... It's a documentary. I just thought he was the guy from um, Overboard with Goldie Hawn, but no, it turns out um, turns out he was heavily involved in the Mavericks when he was young as well. So um, Kurt Russell does the narration for it, which I was quite surprised when he popped up, not knowing the link. A key part of the story, I have missed completely missed out. Bing Russell's son, Kurt Russell, a very successful actor in his own right, also a very good baseball player had an injury so he was he was a dedicated hitter which meant he didn't need to mess about in the field he just got to come on and and bat uh, but but again he'd gone on to be very successful uh, and and as partner of Goldie Hawn which in itself is uh, is remarkable so, so uh, the, the, the Portland Mavericks are due a restart in the year 2021 I think so Emma you've got the chance to be a Portland Mavericks fan I'll be on the first flight <laughs> take, take your enthusiasm with you. <laughs> take my enthusiasm to Portland. That's what my dad said. He says, "This is your biggest problem. Is you always think they can win, but hey." Well, no, let's keep that enthusiasm. Let's harness it. So, having watched that movie, let, let's just say that Harry Redknapp and his advisors have stumbled upon this podcast as part of the research, uh, and they're going to come in. So, we've got our famous face riding into town. What would you want them to change at Airdrie to, to enhance the experience of being an Airdrie fan? Emma, you're the optimistic one. You go first. No, you're asking me to put them on the spot. I think I'd just like to see just that kind of fighting spirit back, you know, and the kind of sense of fun with the game, I think. Um, I think myself included, I think we can all be guilty when times have been quite tough of taking it too seriously. And I think if we could just get that kind of spirit winning you know I suppose winning brings that as well but just a sense of fun and the sense of fighting spirit around the the club again and, and really you know kind of go for it next season David uh, I want to see Bulldogs <laughs> <laughs> Sean Crichton burning brooms <laughs> I'll make them in the garage David I'll make them in dad's garage I just as I says players with a bit of fight enthusiasm and bring back some glory days um, I think that's what every club wants, but yeah, we, we all dream of that, don't we? Yeah, no, I'll add in, I think it is, I've touched on it before, it's the, the sense of daftness. I mean, the club, the football playing staff and the training and everything has got to have a, a level of professionalism, and these guys obviously wanted to win. Having a winning team would have been key to getting people out to see this, this new team, but I think just having a sense of fun. I mean, we did a podcast a while ago where I had a massive rant at the start of it and I stand by a lot of what I, what I was complaining about and that just finding ways to engage with the community looking at what's the match the experience if, on the days where the football's not good and we lose uh, the diamond dancers at half time every week isn't cutting it for me I'd like to see half time uh, primary school running competitions just the wee things that you can try and do I mean the, the, there's all the 
picking drunk fans out and doing the halfway line penalty shootout. We could use the brooms and spin them around three times before we send them on their way. Uh, which uh, which would be we'd all enjoy get at home against the away fans doing the, the kind of drinking game running around the broom before you set it on fire uh, that that's the, the that would it would appeal would just had a bit of a sense of that little things I mean I think the club uh, when Stuart Miller got mentioned here it's not only does he design strips I think he's he's pragmatic he's full of common sense it's been great to have him on the podcast a few times he, you can see they are they're building something uh, it's just harnessing that with the the local community doing what we can and getting people involved I mean at, at the extreme end it'd be amazing if we could look, well look at the, the free season tickets is there a way that rather than Club 1924 we say for one season only look all you diehards that are left the, the, the club this is a our last chance at rebuilding will you pay uh, will you buy your season tickets and accept that we're going to give free season tickets out to anybody in the town that wants one to try and get 4,000 people in the stadium rather than 1,000 I don't know but that kind of out of the box thinking is where we've, where we've got to get to Stumbling block football these days, certainly our level is it's not the most glamorous thing to go and sit and watch. And the, the price you pay, it's, it's not really a working class sport anymore. No, I, I, I think even if you opened the doors and, and told people it was free, I'm not convinced that we would even double the crowd. So it's, mm. it's not easy, but it's just about trying to get, trying to get people back because we've lost so many fans over the years since we all started going. You know, even I've uh, seen the pictures on on social media. Uh, Robert Dale does the photography, and you look back at the pictures from when you know Airdrie United, the first seasons of them, and just look at the crowds that we had back then. You didn't realise at the time how healthy they were. Yeah, and it's it's just years and years of kind of League One and and false starts. You know, it just it, people just as we know f- fell away, and there's only so many times you can say it's going to be different this season before people go well actually. Kind of, it's not really. It's not going to be any different, and start to fall away. I mean, I can't. You know, I've never. Don't even pretend to know the kind of pressures and stresses that you know financially that it takes to to run a football club. But there's just there's got to be people out there with some great ideas to, as David said, you know, enhance the match day experience. You know, for me, a lot of the, the experience of going to the game now is spending the time with, with David and Dad because as you grow up, you know. You, you know yourself probably your dad and your brother etc you see less of them you know and it's it's going in and getting a drink beforehand and you know the kind of car chat on the way home or stopping for something to eat you know it's it becomes about a lot of it becomes about what happens around the game for us so it's just how do we try and harness something just that makes it even better that makes you want to go into the stadium that day yeah no we're, we're all singing from the same um, sheet. i don't think any of it was easy to start with and coronavirus is We'll give a, a whole load of guys headaches trying to run their football clubs. Um, so it's maybe down to the fans to to come up with ideas. But it would, yeah, it, it was just that that sense of it's of fun uh, and getting because it's not only it won't only be David and your dad. It will be uh, all the other people that you sit around to you you catch up with and just everybody's trying to bring the folk back who have have we've lost from those groups. I just want to kind of reassure anyone that we we won't turn up on the first game of the season with. Uh, flaming broomsticks or anything, you know. We'll save that for we'll save that for later in the season. That's what the title charge. When it gets cold, save it for the winter. <laughs> we need the heat. 
Guys, thank you very much for giving me so much of your time. I'm, I'm glad that you did enjoy the movie after me forcing you to watch it. Uh, and everybody, please, if you've got Netflix, Battered Bastards of Baseball, uh, it's got an average of about 8.5 out of 10 there, so, so well worth your watching. Thanks for having us on. One of the simple pleasures in supporting Airdrie is when the club comes up with an absolute find. Whether that's John Martin joining from Musselburgh, Paul Jack joining from Arbroath, Willie McLaren turning up to an open training session or Hamilton Ackies being daft enough to release Leon McCann. Beer 52 do a similar thing. They're beer pioneers. They traverse the globe looking to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries that planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month they deliver a case with a different theme. I've had cases of beer from New Zealand and Ireland and also a selection of beers from the Brew London Festival. As a special offer to you for being a listener to this podcast, you can sign up to Beer52 at beer52.com forward slash Airdrie. If you do, you'll get an introductory selection of eight beers, the Ferment magazine and a snack to show you what you would get each month. They want to win you over. They want you to try the beer and make your own mind up. But, just like done DFC, you can change your mind at any time, and so if you don't like it, you're free to cancel straight after the free trial. Rather than give money to this podcast, they've agreed that for anybody who signs up, they'll donate £5 to Airdrie Ladies to help with their fundraising. So far, 24 of us have signed up to Beer52, including myself. Although it doesn't sound a lot, that makes a big difference to them, and they've asked me to pass on their thanks. So go on, give it a try.